This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by a very holy Mawera Karatai. <laughs> you to Sam? Why are you holy, Mawera? Just had my second COVID vaccination shot today and had to sit for 20 minutes and got a bicky and a drink of water. So that was kind of nice. Actually getting to sit for 20 minutes was really lovely. (laughs) And who are we introducing today? Today we have got the very lovely Phoebe Eden Mann. And we have had Phoebe before on the show some time ago. Um, and it was really amazing and a whole lot has happened in the world since then and so it just seems like a really good time for a catch-up. Kia ora Phoebe, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me again. Also hi Dad. Hi Phoebe, where are you Phoebe? Well I know where you are but other people don't. I'm in Dunedin so I'm in, I'm on a hill in Dunedin. It's not snowing anymore so that's a good start. And let's do a bit of a catch-up, how was your Covid life? Um, well, we didn't get COVID, so I think that's probably a good start, right? You know, no one, no one, well, some people got COVID, but the majority of us didn't. So I think we did better than the rest of the world, really. Um, yeah, my partner's now fully vaccinated. So as someone who's immunosuppressed, bonus points for him, because I'm probably not going to get it, hopefully. Um, and yeah, basically just continuing to do policy within a pandemic stricken world really is he vaccinated on your behalf well no because he's in trade so he's he i can't remember what tier he was in might have been tier two or three but he got his final dose last week i think but yes ever since ever since he got his vaccine his phone has been getting better reception than mine so you know, there might be th- something to the whole 5G thing. I don't think so, and you don't think so either. No, for people who might be sceptical, that was very heavily implied sarcasm. Please get vaccinated if you can. I tell Phoebe that they need to get, I tell people that they need to get vaccinated for you on your behalf. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I'm fully banking on herd immunity so I don't die. And so is a lot of the disability community. You know, there's a lot of us who can't get vaccinated for, you know, a myriad of reasons, but I personally can't get vaccinated because my immune system's chucking a tantrum anyway. So for me personally, it's probably a better idea at this point in time for me not to be vaccinated. But 
and saying that well, I'm also fully banking on everyone else being vaccinated so that I don't get it because herd immunity only works if the majority of the population is vaccinated and protected. So you've got a new job since we talked on the radio last? Sort of. Well, yeah, sort of. So what happened was is that my very lovely and amazing um, ex-boss got headhunted um, which left me in charge of policy. So it's been a bit of a learning curve for the last five, five, nearly six months. But, you know, we, we got through the budget without a mental breakdown. We did the budget analysis. And, you know, Dad can uh, testify as someone who was really, really bad at maths. That was quite an achievement for me, managing to do all of the, all of the stats and not get any of them wrong, which was even better. Um, but yeah, basically, I've just been trying to figure out how to do policy as a, as a one-woman team, really. And as you explained to me, in every policy is a disability policy. Yep. I'm assuming you want me to elaborate yeah, on that. Yeah, I want you to carry on. All right. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, every policy is a disability policy because every policy affects people. So... And within our community and, you know, the global community and within Aotearoa itself, we have disabled people in every community. You know, it, it it might not be, they might not be visibly have a disability or impairment, but I guarantee you everybody knows at least one person who has a disability or impairment or a serious health condition. Um, and so every disability is a disability policy because it affects disabled people. And, you know, and I I know I tell you this quote a lot, Dad, but it, it's, a, it's a quote that kind of underpins my entire work, really, which is the disability community is the world's largest minority that anyone can become a part of at any given point in time. And it's so true. You don't know what's going to happen the next morning. You might wake up and be in a car crash or have a stroke or you know, serious adverse health uh, health event. And that could have serious lifelong implications for you. And so, you know, you don't know at the next day that you're going to wake up and have your life completely changed or not. And so because of that, and not just because of that, but also because, you know, we need to be meeting the needs of disabled people anyway, but every policy does need to be a disability policy because it is a community that you can join at any given point in time. So everybody should care about it. And everything, no matter what people are trying to do, has got implications f from a disability perspective. Yep. Yep. There's always... It's it's connected to the, the question you just asked me. Every policy does have flow and effects into the disability community and so you always need to be you know having in the back of your mind okay well what is this going to do for you know the disabled people within Aotearoa how is this going to affect their daily lives is this going to negatively impact them or is this going to you know enhance their life and help them you know be part of the community I'm looking at uh, a policy in Fakatani at the moment, which is this, I don't know what it's called, but the government gave all the councils a whole lot of 
money to beautify the streets and put all these oh, boxes underneath. God, I know exactly what you're doing. Yep. And then unintended consequence of that is that it's reduced the parking spaces so much yeah. that already we have a problem with people who are perfectly able-bodied and don't have a disability card using the disability parks, but now that seems to have got 10 times worse. And yep. it's so frustrating that when people make policies that have an impact on people, on the people who actually just need a bit of a help up, not yep. a push down. Hey. And because, so my background is in geography, as is dad's, because it's a, at this point a family requirement to have a geography degree. Fair There's, enough. Dad, how many of us are there? Five of us that yeah. have now got geography degrees? It's a family requirement. As someone with a geography background, I am on board with things like pedestrianisation of public areas and making things, you know, not making things not so car focused and making sure that, you know, we have adequate public transport and all of those kind of things. Because moving forward, we really do need to get those things back because at the moment we definitely don't. Problem is, is that if we do those things without properly consult, like consultation, and just do them on the basis of, oh well, it will help reduce the number of cars. Well, super cool, but disabled people still need mobility parking spots. They still need to be able to park near city hubs. They still need to be able to park relatively close to, you know, wherever it is they're going, and have parking spots that are an adequate enough space for them to be able to get a wheelchair out and at the moment we're seeing the issues that you just talked about more and more and I know probably about maybe a month and a half ago ish there was a big argument about that in the Wellington CBD um, because they were doing the exact same thing and by the sounds of it they were trying to say oh well there's still mobility parking like three streets away and it's like well that's great it's still three streets away and it's you know it's i've, I've had some had some great experience with experiences with mobility parking recently i was in the pack and save car park and my uh crutches were in the back of the car and so i'm perfectly i'm perfectly eligible to have a mobility parking permit I use a mobility parking permit. However, when I get out the car before I get my crutches, I don't look visibly disabled. And so I have this woman come storming up to our car and she was looking at me and just going, I think it's absolutely disgusting that you're abusing your grandmother's parking permit. And I'm just sitting there going, well, my grandmother doesn't have a parking permit, so wrong on point one. And then, and I kind of just go, what? And she went, you don't need to be using this. It's an abuse. So I'm going to report this to CCS Disability Action. I'm sitting there going, uh-huh, okay. So I get my crutches out of the car and she goes white as a ghost. I've never seen someone backtrack so quickly in my life. And then I go, well, so feel free to complain to them because I do work there. And also, do I, am I disabled enough for you now? And then I just keep going. But my partner was just standing there going, what was that about? I'm like, that's not an isolated incident. It's not because people do that all the time. Yeah, Mike, I have the same kind of issue because I, I have uh, arthritis. So I get mm. out of my car. I don't, unless you see me walk, I don't look like I'm really disabled. Yes. Also on my car is a bike rack and kayak yeah. rack. Oh. <laughs> like the ultimate mum sport machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but it's all for my child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so it's tricky. People people jump to conclusions and they judge instead of coming up and asking. They yeah, they point fingers. My, my favorite, my favorite ever kind of being a disabled person out in the wild experience was when I was going into the countdown car park and I had my cane and my partner was walking probably like maybe two or three feet ahead of me and this woman behind me and it was a packed car park it was like seven o'clock at night this woman behind me started going started yelling oi 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 and I'm turning around going oh god has someone like stolen someone's handbag and just like you know hoofed it hoofed it out the car park so anyway I turn around as she goes oi hey you oi and then she comes up to me and yells for the entire car park to hear are you a cripple I want to help you if you're a cripple and I'm like what and everyone in the car park at this point has just turned and stared and I'm like what is going on and she, and she goes if you're a cripple I want to help you go shopping and I'm like and me, I'm a very sarcastic human in general, but if you yell at me across a car park, oi, hey, you cripple, my responses aren't going to be, oh, thank you so much for your kind and generous offer. So I turned I turned my partner, who's not disabled, I turned to him and I went, nah, this cripple's got me to help him shop, thanks. And then we just kept going. But she looked so offended that I had actually turned her down, you know, for her very kind offer of yelling, hey, you cripple across the car park. The worst bit was is that she was in nursing scrubs. And I'm like, oh, my God, if this is how you react to a disabled person in the wild, what on earth is your professional practice like? I am going to put in a gentleman after dark. Open the door. Why this one? Because it was on Stranger Things and I was watching Stranger Things last night and now the song's stuck in my head.
Phoebe, you were in Wellington recently. <laughs> yep. Talking at various select committees and, and so on. I don't think we need to hear it was the, a... the, the political story of the select committee. Oh. Unless you can reduce the amount of swearing that's involved in telling that story. This, which story? The story about the the bright line test yeah yeah so we well me it was my first select committee um since my boss left and it was on the budget um budget policy statement and you know for the budget select committee once you have like a, it's they say in bold when they send you that you know the email confirming that you're going to talk in front of the you know finance and expenditure committee they give you a strict 10 minute time limit and it's in bold so you're like right okay got to be 10 minutes right that includes five minutes questions at the time the end right so i had my whole i had my whole thing planned out i timed it, it was five minutes five minutes good to go and then did the presentation that was totally fine that bit was all good uh problem is is that it was about two or three days after labor had announced the bright line housing test and i had very vaguely mentioned um in my presentation about kyung or homes they need to increase the number of at a minimum universally designed housing because at the moment the target or at that point the target was i think 15 percent and it's just stupid that it's that low namely because we need more you know accessible and universally designed houses but also it costs significantly less to fit things or design a house for universal design or accessible design from the get-go than to retrofit it down the line we also have you know a rapidly aging housing popular rapidly aging population which means that we're going to have skyrocketing disability rates which means a need for accessible housing is already rapidly increasing so you know kind of mention that and going look we understand that you have this target as a disability agency we you need to increase it and here's why and that was all fine until an mp and i shan't i shan't say who it was um but an mp took it upon themselves to grill me for about 25 minutes on the Labour's newly announced Brightline policy, which had only just been announced and I had not looked into it at all because it had nothing to do with me or my job, really. And he was uh, he was uh, fishing for a very political answer that he knows full well because he knows who I, knows who I am and I've, I you know, know him professionally, he knows full well that I'm not allowed to give a, a very political answer. 
and it got to the point where the MP who was in charge of the committee that day made a blanket statement at the end that just and he just said now this is just a reminder to all of the MPs here we are not here to grill the presenters on newly announced political ideologies or policies and I'm sitting there going <laughs> and it was I was like you know because it was my first it was my first solo select committee and it was so 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 stressful and then I had that happen and I'm going oh my god did I did I do this right I don't know if I've if I handle that properly, I have absolutely no idea if I'm going to get in trouble for how I answered that or anything. And then um, the feedback that I got after that was that I handled it really, really well. But I'm still mad about it. I think I'm going to die mad about that incident, to be honest. Because he, he knew. He knows full well that I'm not allowed to answer what he was. Oh. That, the, that specific person makes me very cross. And then you had, this was a different trip to Wellington, then you had an adventure in a hotel. <laughs> uh, yeah, so recently we stayed in a hotel in Wellington, which was arguably the least accessible hotel I've ever stayed in. Um, I arrived and discovered many of my co-workers who were in wheelchairs, and they kind of greeted me and went, can you fix our room? I'm like, What? And then I went in, and one of the th one of the key things with accessible design is that all of the switches need to be at seated height. Me being five foot four standing, I could barely reach any of the switches, and so they had all of like the thermostats, you know, like above head height, and so I had to almost jump to reach them. And you know, the bathrooms rather than the bath rather than the walk-in shower being kind of angled towards the drain, so the water just, you know, flows straight into the drain, they had what can only be described as a speed bump size kind of rail around the around the kind of walk-in shower. And I'm looking at it going, that's nah, not great. And then the toilets had, they, to be fair, they did have handrails about a metre and a half away from the toilet. And I'm looking at it going, how do you think okay and my um one of my workmates described it well which was tell me that this room has been designed by a non-disabled person without telling me it's been designed by a non-disabled person because it, it it had all of the elements of an accessible room that were just completely unusable for lots of disabled people so it was kind of like well you get points for trying but you know many points off for the execution of this but then the the mission of getting to Kuru Club with my workmate in a wheelchair and me with my cane was honestly something out of like a BBC black comedy of just how it was kind of an example of what everything that went wrong could go wrong in the space of about half an hour. But it was the funniest half an hour of my entire life. Because it got to the point where me and my work colleague were just doubled over crying with laughter. So they lost my cane in the in the machine, you know, the big scanny machine. They they lost my cane. Uh, they got my work colleague stuck sideways in his wheelchair in security gate. I set off the entire so I got like multiple kind of bits of metal and things in my body. So 
I set off all of the airport alarms because I'm half robo woman. And so I, you know, I went through, went through, went through the machine, set everything off. Then I had to go through, you know, the hands up kind of one where you go in like a tube and then it's got a door that goes. Yeah. Set all that off again. Then I had a, <laughs> the, the poor woman who then had to like, you know, do the, the hand test. She gets to my knee and I've got a, a, wound that won't heal properly in my leg and so it's you know quite heavily ripped, wrapped in dressings and she got to that she's the look on her face and she looked very concerned and looked at me as if to go you got something have you are you carrying contraband on your leg and i'm going and she goes what is that and i went it's a wound dressing and she went oh my god i'm so so sorry i'm like it's fine it's, it's all right then we discovered that they'd lost my cane and i went over and i was like well okay cool but where's my cane they went well, are you sure you put it through? I'm like, well, I, I had it on that side and I'm now over here. So it's clearly not, I didn't bring it through the machine. Like I put it through, you took it through the big x-ray thing. Where, where's it gone? At this point, it's taken oh, a good 15 minutes for me and my coworker to get through security to the point where they had to open up the other line on the opposite side because the two disabled people were causing absolute chaos. So... Then my then my co-worker lost his boarding pass, you know, so that just added an extra, just everything is going brilliantly. And so we we're going to meet um, our boss at Kuru Club and um, she said, oh, just text me when you get here and I'll come out and I'll, I'll let you in. Well, awesome. We discovered that the Wellington, one of the Wellington Airport Kuru Clubs is up two flights of stairs. And I'm looking at it going, right, okay. And we're going, how on earth are we supposed to get up here? You know, because my co-worker's in a wheelchair, I'm, I've got a cane. And then I see a sign on the wall that says, oh, well, pick up that. It had like a phone next to it that said basically pick up the receiver and someone will buzz the the controlled lift access down. I'm like, great. So I said to my co-worker, I'm like, right, you, you sort that. I'm going to text our boss and let her know that we're here. So I'm halfway through texting our CEO and I hear my co-worker go, uh-oh. And I look over and I went, what do you mean, uh-oh? And he went, I picked up the phone and the phone fell out the wall. I'm like, what? And he's holding the entire phone, headset, wall attachment, cords and all, and his hand. I'm like, what did you do? And he goes, I picked up the phone and the phone fell out the wall. <laughs> At this point, we are both doubled over crying with laughter because it was just... The last like 25 minutes are just what could go wrong this is why disabled people don't travel and so then we're going and i'm looking at the stairs going well maybe i can push him up the stairs maybe i can how how hard can it be to push a man up up two flights of stairs in a wheelchair i'm going well we'll give it a crack and this woman at the top of the stairs looked down at us saw him holding the entire phone cords and all me with a cane and a box of plants under one arm looks at us and went do you want some help and we're like yep <laughs> so she so she uh tells one of the crew club people to come down and the lady who came down to help us was so lovely and we felt so awful kind of having to go um so about your phone uh it kind of fell out the wall <laughs> it kind of fell out the wall she went what what and we went well we picked it up and it fell out the wall but um here it is with <laughs> ego so we're in the left at this point and my coworker is still holding onto the phone, cords and all. You know, there's quite a few cords that are attached to this phone. We're going up on the left and we're going, all right, good, right. Well, we're probably 
not ever going to be allowed back into Kuru Club. We've caused a lot of a lot of chaos in the past 25 minutes. As we're going into Kuru Club, a waiter carrying, you know, the massive soup terrines that they have in Kuru Club at, and at buffets. Yeah, well, a waiter didn't see my colleague and walked straight into the side of his wheelchair carrying a ginormous soup terrine. I have never seen pumpkin soup fly so far in my life. It went not over us, not on us. It went over us. But it went over everything else in Kuru Club. The Wellington Kuru Club, well, it's entirely tiled white. It wasn't after that. It was mostly orange after that incident. And we're standing there going, we're never going to be allowed back in Kuru Club, are we? No, no. And then the funniest bit was is that we could just see our boss at the end of Kuru Club looking at us going, I don't know them. Maybe if I pretend I don't know them and they're not my <laughs> employees. And then just to top it all off, my co-worker said to the nice Kuru Club lady who had had to come downstairs in the lift and let us all in, he just went, here's your phone. <laughs> and that is the story of how I don't think me and my co worker are ever going to be allowed back into the Wellington Airport Kuru Club. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for all of us we've been through a very challenging time over the last more than a year it's so important for us to be kind to ourselves and to each other to find ways to support ourselves in the new normal and to find ways to nourish and sustain ourselves in our day-to-day -day lives and looking to a more long-term form of adventure together. I know that for all of us, at times, we notice that things have changed and we notice that our goals, our plans, our motivations, many of these have had to shift and, and change as the world has shifted and changed around us. And at times we can feel this discrepancy between what we had previously felt was possible, we previously were able to do, what we previously took for granted, and where we find ourselves now. And of course it's so important again to recognise that this is challenging and it's not just us as individuals experiencing this all uniquely and individually but collectively of course we are experiencing this grief for our previous consensus reality. However, I feel of course as a species that we innately have the strength to adapt and triumph 
when things change because if we look in fact throughout every aspect of the living world of which we are a part co-evolving with all life in an infinite web we see change is constant and in fact change is part of all the cycles that we see around us change is powering and moving these cycles bringing these cycles into being and what I'm finding for myself at the moment is I've had months and months towards this creative project this memorial concert for my lovely friend and now I find myself of course at the beginning of another cycle of where do I want my creative energy to go now and how do I want to direct that energy and of course this is a time of uncertainty and frustration and it's so important when we when we can feel ourselves slipping into self-criticism or beration that we're not moving forward with complete clarity and complete courage to know that this is part of the cycle and we all move through this and by continuing to allow ourselves the time and the space to drop anchor and be still and allow the cycle to unfold that direction will come and we will see clearly again so I really hope for you wherever you are in your creative cycle and in your experience of change you're finding ways to be kind to yourself and to remind yourself that you're doing your best that you've always done your best that everyone around you is doing their best and has always done their best that in fact all life is constantly doing the best that life can do and together we're making things better I'm heading out to the beach to look at the beautiful sea which of course is a great comfort to me at all times and just hearing that breath of the sea and the waves moving in and out and again seeing that cycle of the tide helps remind me who I am that I'm right where I need to be so I hope for you you have a place you can go to outside and inside that helps you too and I'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. Baby, we're going to squeeze your second song in. We're having the Beths. Future Me Hates Me. That's a clever mm-hmm. title. Why this one? Well, they were the what? So the Beths are the band that last year in the election tweeted out that the whole band voted green. And then the National Party lost the plot. And then the, the Beths just doubled down and went, what are you going to do about it? We don't like you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, big fan of Beths. Um, that in the election, their, you know, We Vote Greens was the first time I'd heard of them. And then getting me through the election analysis and kind of, you know, the election last year, I basically just had them on repeat. <laughs> One of the things keeping me sane is I was having to sift through all of the various parties' policies to find the disability stuff.
Phoebe today I was sitting in the waiting area waiting for my shot and I was talking to a school teacher and we were talking about um, how kids are not nearly as empathetic these days as they were like I'm I'm 50 you're about 25-ish are you 20? Close 26. Okay so you so even even in your age group you would notice the difference between your peers and the kids coming through today and I worry about what that means for the disability sector. I think that is true for some kids. There are definitely, it's not little kids. It's it's not little kids. No. I think that's true for kids probably aged about eight to 14. You know, that slightly formative being a little bit of a prat kind of age. And I think it's because, you know, the, the world is so bizarre at the moment and they're growing up in a very odd time you know and kids they spent what two months not with their peers last year you know at a minimum and that's just in Aotearoa globally we've basically had kids not at school for the last year and a half and I think that's had quite a negative impact for a lot of kids but then at the same time I see kids who are amazing amazingly empathetic and who are doing absolutely amazing things in the world and they're not they're not big things but they're kind things and i just really hope that those kids who are being kind and empathetic and amazingly you know amazingly human i really hope that they can teach this, those skills to the ones who are being not so flash because i think the ones who are being not so flash hopefully are in the minority of kids but i think that in terms of disability that it is true that i've seen recently online younger probably young teens being quite uh, vicious online to disabled people. I've seen memes of children that have uh, significant uh, disabilities, which results in, resulted in things like facial deformities. I've seen those kids being used as memes. Like one of them was, and this is why you don't marry your cousin in Alabama. And I'm looking at going, are you kidding me? This child is eight. And it's, not just kids that are doing that it's adults too and i think a lot of that's to do with the internet because you know you can put whatever you want out on the internet and then sh like close your phone so it's easy to or it's easier to avoid the real life consequences of that and i think that's part of part of the problem especially when we're in a pandemic and we've all pretty much been living online for the past year and a half and that doesn't look like it's going to be stopping or slowing down anytime soon. So I almost think that we need to have a empathetic internet. <laughs> you know, I think I think we need to really be pushing the mesh the, the kind of message and the thought process of 
you know you're actually sending and saying these things to a real person on the other side of that screen, right? Because it's really easy to write something awful and completely twattish on the internet. I mean, I've done it. I've said things on the internet and I've then gone, oh, that wasn't so great. And I think we've all done that. But I think children and young people really need to be learning those things now because they are growing up in a time where their whole lives are going to be on the internet. You know, and I, I'm, so I'm turning 27 in less than two months and I'm having a, you know, quarter life crisis about it. But I still remember when we were little, our dial-up was the most terrifying thing you've ever heard. But we didn't have dial-up until I was, what, dad, about five-ish, mm. when you bought the giant Mac computer home from work. Something like that. That was, that was, yeah. So, like, you know, it wasn't, I remember when we didn't have that. And I think I'm probably, so my younger brother's 23-ish, and I think he only just remembers that. So I think people my age are probably the last generation that really remember what it was like before the internet. And it's quite interesting looking at the generational um, differences in that. You're doing work on the voices of the child, specifically the voices mm -hmm. of the disabled child. Is, is, is there a COVID flavour coming out in yep. that? To mix a metaphor because yep. you don't have a flavour of a voice. Oh, well, no, it's true. Yeah, so there's actually been um, recently a study released by the Child Poverty Action Group that I uh, consulted is probably the wrong word. I did two interviews for them because they needed to talk about disability. Um, and it's a really, really good report. And it came out, I want to say, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, and that had disability stuff in there as well. And so what we're finding and hearing a lot is that children across the board really liked, for the most part, being at home with their parents because it meant that they got to have family time that they don't necessarily, you know, always get to have. And disabled children really liked it as well because, you know, they got also to spend a lot of time with their families and things like that. But a lot of disabled children struggled because they didn't necessarily have the supports that they normally have. And for children who might be on the spectrum or, you know, have some neurodiversity stuff going on, a massive change in routine, like you suddenly don't go to school for two months, is a huge change in routine so a lot of children young people struggled with that and a huge amount we're seeing now a lot of children with anxiety a lot of children with you know anxiety and mental health issues that are coming out of that and it's really hard to manage that stuff when you look at mental health and disabled children, young people, because a lot of the mental health initiatives that are specifically targeted towards young people and children are completely inaccessible for disabled kids. So then we have a two-pronged issue of, okay, well, how do we how do we ensure that we're meeting the needs of you know the mental health needs of, of children anyway? But okay, great. So now we've got an even bigger problem because we've got disabled children who are really struggling with mental health and well-being 
and they can't access any of the any of the initiatives so that's one of the things that have that's been kind of part of the discussion recently um around mental health and well-being and i think a lot of that has come out of the COVID research um and things like that but i think on the whole children liked being at home i think there's a lot of evidence that for quite a few children that it wasn't the end of the world but then for children who were already living in, in precarious environments who were low income who had a lot of other socio environmental stresses going on those children didn't do so well in in um lockdown especially and i think a lot of disabled children fall into that into that bracket because well disabled people are more likely to be uh, are more likely to have pretty much next to no money anyway um and that's especially for uh disabled family or families with a disabled uh, child or young person because they're much more likely to be a single parent household okay the questions to end the show you've had these before so we're going to rattle through them i'll try and remember what they were i haven't looked up what you said last time so i can't even test you on it what's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years i'll bluff my way through it it's fine what's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years um I think for me in the last couple of months the biggest success was the budget analysis that was the, that was the biggest thing for me um being able to do the budget pretty much by myself my partner's an accountant well it's trained as an accountant so he did the stats he checked the stats before they went out to you know news hub um but I think that was the biggest success for me professionally was actually managing to do that and not have a mental breakdown. What's your superpower? Turns out I'm really good at indoor plants. <laughs> really good at indoor plants. Um, also arguing in, in an empathetic way, I think I'm quite good at. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I don't consider myself to be anything but that. What motivates you? I was going to say what gets you out of bed in the morning, but I know nothing does. So what motivates you? <laughs> yeah, what gets me out of bed in the morning? Dad, I work mostly from bed, to be honest. Um, that's the benefit of working from home. You can work wherever in your pyjamas. It's fantastic. Um, what, get, uh, what motivates me? It helps that I'm disabled. So on the days where I'm just like, I can't be bothered at least I can then kind of go, well, I'm doing this not not just for everyone else, but also for me. That probably is a good start. But, um, yeah, no, mostly sheer rage at the inequities in society. It's pretty much sums it up quite well. So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? I've got to write my MPP thesis. That's, yeah. That's... <laughs> which I've been steadily avoiding for the last couple of months, but at some point I actually have to do that. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I'm not allowed to swear, so um, give me one second. And um, some people say, oh, I'm not one to give advice, but I know you're not going to say oh, that. Oh, I definitely am. 
I'm a policy advisor. It's, it's <laughs> my job description. Don't be a prat. Like, just like just treat people how you would like to be treated, and don't be a complete dick about it. Thank you for that. It's very <laughs> academic, I know. Don't put that in your thesis. <laughs> are you no, telling me? That, are, you, are you telling me that that can't be the title of my thesis? Disabled totally children. Can. Don't listen yeah, to shared, shared decision making with disabled children and young people. Don't be a dick about it. Have you thought of asking them? Surely <laughs> that can be my thesis title. It can. <laughs> Perfect. I'll quote you on that when I have to talk to my supervisor about it. <laughs> Moera. Um. This is the first time in my whole life I'm ever going to quote Shakespeare knowingly. How far that little candle throws its beams, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And that is you, my dear, shining good like deeds that. in a weary world. And thank, thank you. you for all the caring and all the love and all the support that you give to people who would otherwise not feel part of anything and just feel so disconnected. Um, and I just, I have so much admiration for what you're doing and please don't stop ever uh, i don't think i could i don't think i could who I'd, I'd get bored with not telling people off for being prats don't stop doing that either <laughs> <laughs>
I'm Trevor Man Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Helensburg, Dunedin. We were joined by Phoebe Eden Man. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.